You got your Bibles, let's get them. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to begin there in verse 15. We've got a lot to cover today, so we're just going to jump right in. And uh, the title of our discussion, our message, our sermon today is Finding God's Will. And before we jump in, I just want to say one more thing, not to draw attention to the fact that I've got semi-laryngitis, but I'm going to pray, and normally I'm not going to be able to use to get... um, as animated as, as I normally am, I just that's the way that God has wired me. So it's going to be more monotone. Some of you are like, thank God. You, you enjoy that, the boringness of that. Um, so I'm, I, it's just going to be basically straightforward. Just going to let you guys know that right out of the gate today. So I'm going to ask and pray. If you guys can partner with me today to try to ex- listen extra hard, because I'm going to be able to just go straight through it. And uh, some of you, that may be a welcome relief. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture today. And we thank you that you do exist. It's kind of funny that we would say that, but we thank you that you're actually there. And that you do have desire, a will, an objective for us to fulfill. Would you help us to find it today? In Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, the Bible says, Look carefully or watch then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. First there, the Bible is it's drawing our attention with this first word here, look. Literally, the word here is to say, get your eyes and focus them on this thing because it's very important. So what are we supposed to look at? Notice it says, how you walk. Now, the word walk here, as we've looked at the book of Ephesians time and again, it's not speaking of the way someone walks, whether they swagger or whether they stagger. It's speaking of our daily living in a lost world. Do you remember what Jesus prayed? He said, Father, I do not pray that you take them out of the world, but that you would protect them in the world from the evil one. For us as Christians to say we have to withdraw from the society to make our own little Christian sex. No, I've got my light. Remember that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5, so let your light shine before who? Other church, shine before men. You'll be like a city that is set in a valley underneath a, uh, a cavern, right? city that is set on a hill so that all men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The same concept if we could turn out all these lights and, and, and cover all of these windows, these lights would shine out into the darkness. So what Jesus is saying time and time again is that we as Christians are not supposed to withdraw from society. For example, oh, you're a non-Christian. You don't go to church. I've got to separate myself from you because you might get me dirty. Your darkness might mess up my light. But throughout the Bible, we see the Christians, the followers of Christ, because they have Jesus. Amen? Isn't that good? We have Jesus. We have the light of the world. We are to take the light into the darkness. So what he's saying here is look carefully. If you're reading out the King James Version, it uses a very large, unusual word. And that is circumspectly. It literally means to watch and focus your attention on means pertaining to strict conformity to a standard or a norm with focus on careful attention. It's kind of like if you're working with a jigsaw, guys, or, or if you're working in the shop and you've got dangerous uh, equipment around, or if you're out on a firing range, just say, watch carefully what you're doing. Because what you're doing could cause great harm or it could cause great progress. And what the Bible's telling us very clearly is to watch how you walk. Have you ever just stopped and, and just kind of taken a step back and, and stopped and thought about your life? Have you ever done that? Kind of maybe, maybe you're driving to work and you're just kind of thinking, why am I driving to work? So you're like, Jeff, man, that's nothing new. I think about that every single day, man. When I go, I'm like, what am I doing? You know, over and over again, pain and suffering, but I got to pay the bills. But have you ever just stopped and, and considered, why am I doing what I'm doing? And when we kind of, we kind of look back in the rearview mirror of our life, 
We look at all that we have done and all that we haven't done that we wish that we had have done. Where are you in your life this morning? Notice the text says, look carefully, focus, zoom in for the hunters here this morning, zoom in the zoom of the optics of your scope on the target of your life. Look carefully at your life. You know what some of us can get in the habit of doing? We just live, don't we? We get up, we do the same thing, we eat the same food, we go to the same store, we talk with the same friends, we go to the same church. And this is so, this is so funny. If you want to cause havoc in the church, look for people who sit in the same place every, every week. And just, I think this would be great. This is terrible. You will never hear another pastor say this. Go sit in their seat and see what happens. There could be a whole, I seriously do this. It's great. You know, um, this is bad. I'm talking like how to cause problems in church. But seriously, if you, it, it's not your pew, right? Amen. All right. Even if it's dedicated to someone that you know, everything is God's. So, so like we come, we sit in the same places. Sometimes you may, uh, for some of you who've been here a long time, you may get your bulletin from the same greeter, right? It's like the thing that we do all the time. You go into the same, and it's one of those things that we just do. It's almost like we're surviving, we're just living. But we don't ever stop and think, what am I living for, right? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why do I work my job? Yes, the easy sixth grade answer is to pay the bills. Right, God? I mean, somebody's got to bring home the bacon. Mom or dad, they got to bring it home because we got to eat. We got to stay warm. We got to have clothes on our back. But the Bible's telling us to go much, much deeper than the world does. Because the world reflects as well, doesn't it? You can read all sorts of magazines that say, examine your life. Are you getting all that you want out of life? But notice what the scripture says there in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. Literally, examine the way that you're living, not as what? Not as unwise. King James translates this fools, but as wise. What you have here in the New Testament is the word for wise. And then you have the little letter alpha on the front that negates it. For example, if you're a theist, you believe that who exists? That God exists. If you're an atheist, you deny that who exists. You deny that God exists. So literally he's saying, don't be someone who has no wisdom in their lives. Some of you have been raised in the country and you know the little adage, don't put all your eggs in what? (laughs) Y'all know that, man. That's, That's good. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. And I want you to think about this in terms of your walk with Christ. What are you placing your life in? Which basket? Not in terms of I believe that Jesus is the Son of God or I don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Example here would be Bulgaria. It's kind of a random example, right? It's like, well, we go from eggs and baskets to Bulgaria. That's, that's very random. If you ever study the history of Bulgaria, in World War I, it was kind of like world war, so everybody's at war. I mean, you're Bulgaria, you're like, where do we choose? Who do, who do we fight with? Guess who they chose? Central powers. They fought with Germany. Who lost World War I? Germany, so they were losers. Second World War kicks up. They're like, who do we fight for this time? Germany. You guys do know, some people are like, when was World War II fought? Like 1800? No, they lost, right? And so you got a loser twice in a row. This is a very interesting fact here. Bulgaria, when they lost World War I, what they had to do was pay an incredible amount of war reparations to the countries that they fought, specifically to Romania. Secondly, in World War II, they lost all political control of their country because what the Soviets did, what the Russians did, is imposed a communistic regime on Bulgaria. And you can kind of see the decline because it was a little kingdom there in Eastern Europe. But once they teamed up with the wrong people, their country made just like the old song, like a snowball heading for hell. It was a straight on a grease pole, no return. And they're still a suffering nation even to this day in Eastern Europe. What's the application for us as believers in Christ? What thought pattern? Are you looking carefully at your life by? For example, the world says you need to look at your life and say, do you have this amount of money? If so, you're good. You've examined your life and you're good. Two thumbs up. High five. Great job. Good game. Or do you have a, you have a successful family? Or do you have honor in the community? Do you have a happy life? Are you happy? We're like, yeah. And they're like, good. If you know, well, you need to get happy. That's the way the world says. But biblically, 
If that's all that we're after, we're putting our eggs in the wrong basket and we're allied with Germany and we will ultimately lose. You have your Bibles. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11 very quick. You ever had somebody ask you the question, are you, are you willing to follow Jesus? And we're like, we say yes. And we've got this picture in our mind of, of a nice, middle-class Jesus who wears his suit and tie to church every Sunday. He's a member of a Baptist church. He's an American. You got, some of y'all are like, really? No, it's, it's, it's sarcasm. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 34. Actually, let's go back to verse 32. This is what Christ followers' lives will ultimately look like. Verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell me of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, and even stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, and became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Somebody give them the car. I mean, that is all. If you put foreign armies to flight, what an incredible accomplishment. Women, verse 35, received back their dead by resurrection. But some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. Verse 37 gets really violent. They were stoned and they were sawn in two with a saw cut in two. And they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. No Neiman Marcus, no Gap. We're talking about literally going around in the skins of animals, verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Oh my goodness. When we examine our lives to see if we follow Jesus... You know, basically half of the story in most of Christian history has been that if you follow Jesus, you will be persecuted, you will be imprisoned, you will be laughed at, you will be mocked at, you will be denied jobs. Many times you will be denied the right to vote. You will be excluded from society itself. And only when they need a scapegoat will they come looking for you. Are you ready to follow Jesus? In the South, if you come to church and you're a good, upstanding person in the church, that can even better your business. Can we just be honest? I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it can't. He's a good guy. He goes to so-and-so church. Let's do business with him. Let's hire her. But the bulk of Christian history, if you follow Jesus, not only did you not get the job, you didn't get the chance to work future jobs because you were in jail. When we examine our lives by that rubric, when we examine our lives by asking ourselves, what type of life did Jesus live? This is, this is the type of messages where normally people don't like, I don't really want to come back next week. But let's just be real. Was Jesus' life a life of, of popularity in the sense that everybody was like, we want to put Jesus on the Oprah show? No. Most of the people said, let's put him on the cross. And even the huge crowds that were following him, they followed him up until the point to where he said, if you... Even put your hand to the plow and you even look back, you're not fit for the kingdom, and everybody left. And he turned to the disciples, he said, Will you leave also? That's Jesus. The Bible said he didn't even have a place to lay his head. Foxes the whole foxes have have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his his what? His head. So if that's Jesus and we're following Jesus, we really have to be honest and ask ourselves the question to get out of this middle class Christianity that we're so accustomed to and say, does my life, am I looking at my life, verse 15, am I examining my life carefully and are the glasses that I'm seeing my life through the glasses of the Bible or the the glasses or the lenses of my current American culture? It was almost like when you read the words of Jesus, every time he got a crowd, it was like his express purpose to run people off. You know? You know what we do sometimes in church? We try to make it so easy for everybody, don't we? Right? We try to make it so easy. 
You know what? At the end of, um, uh, of this message, you'll have a chance to, to commit to Christ. If you want to join this church by baptism or letter, um, I just want to make a statement. When you do that, that's not a formality. What you're doing is saying, by coming and letting you guys know, I want to serve with you. You're literally saying, if we be honest with the Bible and church history, that if persecution comes here, in the future, if we lose our tax-exempt status, if I say things like homosexuality is a sin, not that we hate homosexuals, we love them, we want to bring them to Christ, but it's a sin. If we say stuff like abortion is murder, and for some reason we get penalized tax-wise or I get thrown into prison, what you're saying by being a member of this church is that I won't be one of the ones who leaves out the door. And if persecution comes, you can sign me up to be your jailmate. But most of the time, we're, we're be, is, is this okay with you guys? We, 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 we try to make it so easy, and if somebody gets their feelings hurt, we kind of try to go turn the whole ship around for them when in fact their feelings were hurt over a biblical issue that they should repent from instead of get mad at. And if we ask ourselves the real question, do we love Christ and do we love people? Are we really looking at our lives the way that Jesus would look at them? If that is in fact the case, we will lovingly speak the truth. Not say that we're better than anybody because we're not. I'm not. But because we love you and because sin is bad and because Jesus is real and because Satan wants to rip your life apart... He wants to shred your testimony. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to nuke your family. Because that's a reality, therefore we speak truth. And because we speak truth, we love you. So first off, verse 15, let's just be honest. Examine your life by God's wisdom. Stop and think, am I following the Jesus of the Bible? Or am I following a middle class white guy, business professional who's from the South and he makes everybody happy and his name is Jesus. Newsflash, that guy doesn't exist. The one who does exist is the one who says to people in a time to where there was no ten, uh, or the, the Bill of Rights, okay? There were no amendments. Who knows, there may have been somebody crucified off in the distance when he said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if any of you wants to follow me, who knows? I'm not reading the text, but maybe they saw someone crucified. You know what the Romans many times would do with rebels? They wouldn't even take them down off the cross. This is kind of grotesque. This is PG-13 on a Sunday morning. They would leave the bodies up there so that years later you would see skeletons on a cross. It's bad. Who knows, maybe even looked over and said, you know, whoever would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his what? His cross. Literally what Jesus is saying is that if you follow me, be willing to dig your own physical grave. If we begin to preach that, how many people do you think would join the church? Imagine seeing that in the Christian bookstores, right? Like at Lifeway. Your best life now. How to get killed quickly. By Lord Jesus. Doesn't appeal to us. Because we're used to comfort. Secondly, in verse 15 and 16. If you're taking notes, this is on your worship guide. To maximize your time. Notice what it says. Making the best use of your time. If you're reading the King James Version here, it literally translates it. Redeeming the time. Because the days are, are evil. Now this word here for redeem, what it literally means is to buy back something. It means, in this context, to make the best use. If you want to write this down, Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 says, Conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Same word, redeeming the time. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, the same word is used. The Bible says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. Galatians chapter 4 and 4 and 5. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born of the law. Here it is, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The picture here is that every season in our life, we're not supposed to look at it as our life. Everybody okay? 
That's very non-American, isn't it? It's my life. It's my money. It's my time. It is not. Everything that you have is God's. That's why he says to buy it up. Buy it up. Why? Why why does he say to, to, to buy up the time, to redeem it? He's literally saying here to make the best use of your time. Have you ever thought about time, what a weird thing it is? Even philosophers who spend their whole lives writing on theory of time. You ever asked somebody what time is? You ever thought about that? What is time? The best philosophers, here's basically what they came up with. Time is some type of movement. We know that time exists. You ever thought about the past? Jeff's standing right here. Now I'm over here. Guess what? That's finished and done with. Can I ever go back and re- undo that? No, I can't. I've burned those calories. It's done. And what happens right here is so many people say, man, Jeff, I know I need to find God's will and for, to serve him. And I need to, I need to use all the moments in my life for his glory. But I've mis- had so many mistakes. You ever been there? You don't have to raise your hand, but we all have wasted time. Some have wasted years, some decades, and people say, now, Jeff, that's just too difficult because what happens, man, I begin to think of all the time that I wasted. If you've wasted years not serving Christ, what Satan will come and tell you is because of the past, you can't serve in the present. Is that true? No. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Right now is the time that you can turn that over and begin to look at life, not as your life, but as a way to actually serve Christ. The Greeks, this is kind of a, a strange picture. They had this, the, this statue, this picture of opportunity. And opportunity had wings on his feet and on his back. But he was bald except for on the front. Weird picture, right? It's like a reverse mullet. All right? It's an inverted mullet-esque haircut. And the picture was, if you're ever going to grab a hold of opportunity... You've got to do it from the front. Because once opportunity is past you, there is no more opportunity. And for some of you, God has placed you in a strategic position at your job, at your work. God has put people around you that if you take advantage of the opportunities, you can win them to Christ. Psalm chapter 90 verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days so that we may have the heart of wisdom. I'm going to give you a couple stats here. The CDC in 2007, the average life expectancy is 77.9 years. Some of y'all been taking your vitamins. That's a long time. We're just going to take a little hypothetical. Here's our study this morning. If you live to 70 years old, and some of y'all have knocked that out of the water, you're like, ain't nothing going to hold me back. You know, I'm going to break 120. That is awesome. If you are 20 years old, if you live to 70, we're going to do it in terms of weekends. You have 2,500 weekends left. If you're 30 years old, you have 2,000 weekends left. Because let's just, let's just say it. In America, we live for the weekend, right? We count weeks in terms of weekends. And as you've noticed, anybody who is a school teacher or has a government job is not here today. They are all on vacation recovering their sanity. 40 years old, you have 1,500 weekends left. 50 years old, 1,000 weekends left. Getting home for somebody. 60 years old, you got 500 left if you live to 70. If you live to 65 years old, you have 250 weekends left. And if you're over 70, you deserve a medal. That kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? We're not going to be here forever. Even if I live to be 90 years old, even if I hang out with some of our, our really cool people like Mr. Bumgardner and, and Mr. Singh and so many who, who, have, who have achieved that in their life, the grace of God, serving Him for years, even if I live 90 plus, I've already lived a third of my life. That means it's well past the first and almost to the halftime of the game. So I'll ask you a question. What are you going to do with the rest of your life? That's not going back to the Rocky movies when he proposes to Adrian. You know, what are you doing for the next 40, 50 years? Not speaking of that uh, lame marriage proposal. But honestly, 
what are you planning on doing for the rest of your life? I haven't seen the movie, but I, 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 love, I love the title, Bucket List. Bucket List is something, a list of things that you want to accomplish before you kick the what? Kick the bucket. Somebody's like, what's kick the bucket? I'll let somebody else explain that to you if you don't know that. That means you're dead. All right. For the, whoa, I learned something at church. You say kids going outside kicking buckets afterwards. Have you ever noticed that so many bucket lists, they are selfish goals? Think about it. What do you want to do before you die? I'm not saying hunting trips or a cruise or a trip to go try to find a giant snake in the Amazon and kill it just so that your man points go up. We're not talking about that that's necessarily bad. But what the world does, the world's way of fulfillment there in your notes is self-fulfillment. Notice it says there in verse 15, don't look at your, your, your life as an unwise person, but as a wise person. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 2 says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? In other words, why are you guys walking around and living your lives for things that ultimately will not bring you satisfaction? If you enjoy shopping and you enjoy hunting or traveling, you can do those things in the context as you bring in glory to God. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25 says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end are the ways of death. The world tries to find happiness through physical pleasure, doesn't it? That we've mentioned this so, so often in church, it becomes cliche. Things like, well, see how much sex you can get. See how drunk you can get. See how high you can get. Uh, this is something that's never mentioned in Southern Baptist churches. Gluttony. That is always mentioned in conjunction with the sins of the flesh. Of the flesh. Gluttony. If these are the goals for your life, simply having physical goals fulfilled, that is a sad, pathetic life. Y'all okay? Because you know what my dog really likes to do? I don't know if my, my dog has never been drunk, but I'm sure if she were drunk, I mean, I, you know, what I'm saying? animals, animals are such that they pursue physical pleasure. But when you see the term in verse 15, look carefully how you walk. How do we walk? We're walking, following Jesus. So yes, Jesus will provide what we need, but simply looking at the physical pleasures is like, you know, I, I mean, it's something like being in, in, in a diamond field and there are diamonds all around and you're looking around collecting little pieces of sandstone, saying, look what I found. Look what I found. Where God is saying, that's garbage. It's trash. Look to me. I am the valuable one in your life. Remember um, in John chapter 4, when Jesus was talking with that woman? That was the day in which men didn't really talk to women in public. And plus, she was a Samaritan. That meant she was a half-breed. Little newsflash here. Any racial problems that we've had in the past in America are nothing compared to the Jews and the Samaritans. Remember Jesus uh, said in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give to him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give to him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So they're there, they're thirsty, they're drinking physical water, and Jesus is like, guys, I've got something better than Gatorade. This stuff will quench your thirst forever. And ever and ever. And she's like, I want to hit. She says, no, verse 15. Woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's like, I don't know who this guy is, but he's just saying that I'm not going to have to come and draw water every day for the rest of my life. And then Jesus said in verse 15, 16, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Wouldn't that be kind of bad? Like if you're living with somebody, you're not married, trying to keep that undercover, and this guy you've never met, who starts talking about water that never runs out, is like, go call your husband. She's honest in verse 17. She says, I have no husband. Jesus says, you're right in saying that I have no husband. Verse 18. For you've had five husbands, but the one that you're now with is not your husband. He just called her bluff. What Jesus is saying that I am the water of life, that if you come to me and trust in me and you're born again and you are saved, it's not saying that you will never wonder, you'll never have questions again, but I am the source of all lasting fulfillment. What Jesus is saying here is simply, whatever the reason for this woman was from going to man to man to man to relationship to relationship. And, and hey guys, that's what happens at college, right? It's kind of like sometimes students are raised in the church and when it's like graduation, they're going to college, they're like, woohoo! 
I'm going to go and I'm going to get as much as I can, physical pleasures. And it's like they do all that and what they end up with, they may end up with a degree, all right? Maybe. But what they end up with was so much heartbreak and regret afterwards instead of serving and pursuing Christ. What Jesus is saying is that I am the one who truly satisfies, that the world's way of satisfying does not work. The world also says, you know what you need to do? Not just pursue your, your physical pleasures, but pursue these mental pleasures. Um, some people know more about the intricacies of, I'm going to get really, maybe get emails on this, but um, Twilight. Obsessed. Ladies, all right. Just ask a question. If your thoughts, and this may be, it's, it's been out for a little while. If, you're th- if you don't know what that is, if you think, why is Jeff talking about the time of day? Don't worry about it. If your thoughts are more obsessed with things that aren't real, whether that be something sci-fi or whether it be Edward and Jacob and Twilight, whatever, ask yourself the question, what is really influencing my thoughts today? Is it the truth of God's word? It manifests itself by love for other people? Or, is it, or am I constantly focused upon this world that doesn't really exist? Some of the novels that, 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 that people can read, like these romance novels, which are, are basically porn in print. Ladies, is that the type of stuff that is constantly going through your mind? Is that what you think will satisfy? Jesus said it won't, it can't, it never does. We'll also say things like, um, let me give you a Jonathan Edwards quote. He said, the pleasures of sin last for a little season. They are like the crackling thorns underneath a fire pot. Or as the blazing meteors of the night that appear for a moment and vanish. You ever, you ever made a campfire and you got these little bit of thorns? And you notice how quickly if you throw those into a blazing fire, they are dissipated and they destroy. That's the way the physical pleasures are if they're not rooted in God. Students say, well, Jeff, you know, what about these things? Is it okay to eat? Yes, it can be honoring to God to eat a good meal. It can be honoring to God if you take a day of rest and say, God, thank you for this day of rest. Thank you for my health. It can be honoring to God if you find the right type of man or woman and you marry him. And within the context of that marriage, you enjoy what God has preserved within marriage for you to enjoy. I'm not saying that you're supposed to have never, never have any fun, but simply say that if we're pursuing things outside of God himself, we will always be disillusioned. Don't believe this? Look in your garage and at it. Remember all those projects? Those things, we might not say it, like, oh, this is so awesome. And we like jump into this thing. We're hardcore into it. This hobby, this activity, this sport even. And then five years later, it's collecting dust. And your wife or husband is like, um, do we need to clean this out or give it to Goodwill? Or what do we need to do? And they've already got it in a box. You ever notice how our passions and our desires change over time? Well, the scripture is calling us back to in verse 16, make the best use of your time because the days are evil. Literally, time is running out. The world also says, do things that kind of give you a rush. All right. I think it would be cool to go skydiving. I haven't been. I think deacons, wouldn't that be a great deacon pastor ministry team adventure? Right. Skydiving. Maybe not. The world is so preoccupied with things that give us a buzz. Right. Like we live in this safe society, you know, now you can't even drink out of the water hose and, you know, all safety, you know, you, you, you can go to uh, Mary Elizabeth Park and, and it's safe. The slides are safe. When I was a kid, it was like a rusted sheet of metal, right? You're sliding down and it's a good thing you don't have lacerations if you get on the bottom. We live in this world that is so different, that is so safe. It's almost like we as Americans want to get out on the edge. And by getting out on the edge, whether it be jumping out of the plane, you know, or doing a wheelie at 90 miles an hour or whatever it is, it's it's like, man, I reached that next high and we become adrenaline junkies. And there's nothing inherently wrong with those activities. But if we're doing those things to get a sense of satisfaction to say, yes, not like the Mountain Dew commercial, been there, done that. We want to say, been there, done that. I'm satisfied. But it doesn't work that way. The Bible says, redeem, make the most of your time. In fact, you can be a crazy person. You can actually bungee jump off a cliff. And if you can do that in the context of winning the other psychos to the Lord, may God be with you. 
We're not saying that you're supposed to not have any type of activity, any fun. But whatever we do, let us do that to the glory of God. Even the pagan, this is going back even the time before Jesus. His name was Epicurus, was not a Christian. He said, if a little is not enough for you, nothing is. The pagans even understood materialism. Hello? But in our culture, man, we run around like our chicken with our head cut off, trying to work ourselves to death to get stuff that we can enjoy to impress people we don't even stinking like. And we look at the rest of the world and we're like, y'all are crazy. I was talking to a friend in Brazil. Said, so what do you think of Americans? Response was, we think you guys are boring. I'm like, what? Because we don't burn our town down after we lose a soccer game? And what, what is, what is the definition of boring? We just, you know, we have so much more love. You know, I'm not saying that one culture is necessarily superior to the other. But if we think that by pursuing these things, whether they be mental pleasures, whether they be physical pleasures, whether they be job advancements, whatever it may be, and think that from that we can redeem and make the best use of the time, we are an A1 class loser. And the words of the Greek New Testament, you are a moron. The word is moros because it means you cannot put data together in an effective way. Let me give you an example. Ignorance test. Now, in in verse number 17, there's a different word here when it says do not be foolish. Different word than in verse 15. Here are a few examples why we have, why we need things in our culture. You ever taken and had to change your battery? You'll see something to the effect of a safety label that says do not drink battery acid. I've never been driving down the road and said, I'm thirsty. Let me pull over and pop my hood and pull out a straw. Never. But they've got to put that on there because, you know, somebody did that and sued, right? Friend showed me his gun this past week, and I love this. It said on the gun. Read instructions before using gun. That's a novel idea, isn't it? Make sure that the book, that the business end is pointed away from you before you put your finger in the hole and start pulling. We've got all sorts of dumb. I mean, imagine you you buy a ladies a, a hair dryer. All right, on the hair dryer it tells you it tells you that when you're taking your bubble bath, not to drop your little friend in when he's on. I mean, seriously, we live in a culture that is nuts. We live in a culture to where there is moronic activity. We live in a culture that is essentially crazy. Because here's the reason why. When we examine our lives, we examine our lives by how much money we have in the bank account, by how popular we are with our friends, and how much we have. Instead of looking at the beaten and the bloody trail of everyone who has followed Jesus, and you will not find a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, who has followed Jesus, who has not had wounds either on the outside or the inside. But we think just because we're Americans in the 21st century that we get a get-out-of-jail-free card. The monopoly game of Christianity does not work that way. The word here in verse 17, for a fool means pertaining to a lack of prudence or good judgment. It means to be foolish or ignorant. It means not to have the data. Remember when I was in Texas with one of my friends. I went to visit him. We were in middle school. And we, were just, we didn't have anything to do. He lived out in the country, so we got a can of gas. I got the can of gas, and he had some matches, right? That's a great thing to do. You know, you're in middle school. Like, what are we going to do? Let's get a can of gas and some matches. So we were going around, and we'd pour some gas and then throw a match and sit there and watch it, watch it burn. and be like, dude. Okay, some of y'all acting like you've never done that before. Do not lie. You're in church. We would just walk around. We were burning stuff. Then one time we found this little clay in it, like a little bitty pit, maybe eight inches or nine inches wide, a couple inches deep. I was just pouring it, you know, like, wow, this stuff will catch on fire. And my friend, who's not all there, lights a match. His dad comes around the corner. What he sees, my son and his friend, can of gas, not good. They're in middle school, doubly not good. Thirdly, my son has just lit a match and is throwing it into the pile of gas that has just been poured by his friend. And right now, I've never been to hell, but man, that was a close experience. It's just kind of one of those things, you know, when you feel that, 
Nobody else has had that gas experience. You can hear my friend in the house, and his dad was applying the board of education. His dad believed that he spares the rod, hates his son. It's one of those things that you just do and you look at later and say, man, that was so dumb. That was so ignorant. That was so crazy. So God is saying, you know what? Don't live your life in trying to, to maximize your time, to use all your time to get stuff for yourself and to get happiness for yourself and find that person who's going to make you happy. The Bible does say marriage is an amazing thing, but if you talk to married people and you say is marriage as a whole something that has always made you felicitously happy to where you have no cares in the world and it's always, oh honey, you're so wonderful. We never have a heated discussion, aka argument. Are you there? Alright? It's always been so great. We always sit around and just look at each other and sing love songs and we don't have any problems ever in our lives. If that person ever comes to you and tells that, here's what you do. Hand on wallet, feet on the pavement, and run. Do not trust a liar. But we think so often that if we get someone or something that we have, as he says in verse 16, made the best use of our time, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Because what Satan wants to do is give you a cheap imitation. He wants to wrap up what looks like a really nice gift. And says, give your life for this gift. And inside this gift, there is happiness. And we give our time and our money and our life. And what we pull out is a cheap imitation. So finally, in verse 17, here's the application. We know what we're not supposed to do. To live for selfish pleasure. But to simply, it says, to understand what the will of the Lord is. So Jeff, what's the will of the Lord? Well, Number one you got to be saved to understand it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, The natural person, the natural man, understands not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, for they're spiritually understood. That means that a lot of the stuff that I was talking about, like Hebrews chapter 11, talking about people being sawn in two, and you know, going about with no house and no clothes, you're like, I don't want to be that. Are you smoking crack, Jeff? What, are, what, what have you been doing? You are nuts. That is crazy. I don't want that for my life. But if you've been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, you realize without Christ, you would be going to hell for all eternity, all of us would, but by God's grace and mercy, some of you, you should be excited about this if you've been saved, that through His grace and mercy, He has chosen to give His Son Jesus to come and die for our sins, to be raised from the dead, and since He has changed me, therefore, every bit of life that I have is to give to Him. I don't have a life. The title on my life is the way you think, right? Right? You've been saved. The, 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 the owner on the title of my life doesn't have my name, but it has the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm his servant. So every ounce of time and energy that I have, I will dedicate that to him. Because if it were not for him, I would not draw the next breath of life. So you have to be saved to understand that. Otherwise, it's going to sound crazy. Secondly, the will of God in 2 Peter 3.9 is for everybody to come to repentance. Lord's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Matthew chapter 28 tells us that it's God's will for the gospel to go into all the world. Jesus says, go into all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. Everything that I've taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. There in your notes, you have a quote by G.I. Packer. He said, we are to order our lives by the light of his law, speaking God's law. And not by the guesses of our, not by our, our guesses about his plan. So here are three final practical steps that come from Paris Reedhead, a great preacher who has died many years ago. Here are three steps from one of his sermons called Finding the Will of God. First question. You're here today saying, Jeff, I don't know which, to, which step to take next in my life. Is a question. Is this, whatever action you're contemplating, is this according to the Word of God? In other words, is what I plan to do what God says I should do? For example, some people have come before and say, Jeff, I think it's God's will for me to get divorced. It's never God's will to go back upon what He said. God, Jeff, it is, it is God's will, okay? It is God's will for me just this once to cheat on my taxes. 
It's never God's will for us to be dishonest. Is it according to the word of God? Secondly, is it accord with, in accord with the desire of my heart? You ever thought about that? What do you really want? What do you really want? Parents, is it for your children to live pure lives in devotion to Christ? To marry and have their families and raise their, raise their children to be followers of Jesus? Grandparents, is it, is it for, your, for, for your kids to, to truly follow the Lord and love Jesus? Is it for them to have joy in life by knowing that they have dedicated everything they are to the Lord? Number three, what would you want to do if all else was provided and there were no restraints? What would you choose? At this point, many of us say, Jeff, what I would choose is I would do this to serve the Lord. But that's too big. Remember in the, the third chapter of the book of Ephesians, verse 19 and 20, this is what the text says. Verse 20, rather, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, says that God is able to do far more than we could ever even conceive. And some of us in here could conceive of some pretty crazy stuff. If you ever want to find crazy people, go to church. There's some who are crazy in the bad sense. And there's some who are just so crazy to say, you know what? It doesn't really make sense in our church culture, but I believe that God can do a work of restoration in Rocky Mount Baptist Church. I didn't say this. You guys told me this. You guys, before I came here, you said, man, Jeff, it was just declining and declining and declining. I'm not saying anything. That, that's simply what you guys were honest with. You said, look, we're going to be honest with you. This kind of situation is going down and down and down in terms of, of participation and whatnot. But do we believe that God can do a work of restoration here? It's a question. Doesn't matter how long. If you're new with us, we're glad you're here. If you've been uh, here a long time, either way, how big do we really think that God is? And go back to that third question. If God is really as big as he says to provide financially, to provide whatever way for us or for your life, what would you do if there were no restraints? What would you do? If God has put a vision on your heart to reach somebody, some group, but it seems to be too far out of your reach, just ask yourself the question, is God's arm longer than mine? Is God's reach bigger than mine? Sometimes a lot of this stuff can get very, very, almost seem technical. You know, all these steps. I'll give you an example. This is the last one. My dad was not raised in a Christian family. My granddaddy's nickname was hot toddy. Guess what some of my dad's family, some, some, some of my dad's family was involved in back in the day. Bootlegging. And God called me to Franklin County. My grandmother had a second grade education far she went. My dad said growing up, he'd hear screaming, fighting, cussing, threatenings of divorce. Even when he was a kid, he would be so afraid that his parents would be getting a divorce. This was back in the day. <clears throat> when my dad graduated college, went to work for a, a plant. It's a guy there, just a guy, Christian, his name's Bobby Arledge. Find his picture on my Facebook. Hung out with him a few years ago in Texas. Bobby was just there, and the church had a, a softball ministry. The stipulation of the church softball team is you had to come to church if you played on the team. My dad didn't go to church. So Bobby went to one of his coworkers named Jim, and he said, Hey, Jim, I know you like sports and stuff. You want to come hang out with our team and play with us? Jim did. My dad went and played. He had to come to church. He came to church, and on a Sunday night, White Settlement, that's the name of the town. White Settlement Baptist Church out in the west end of Fort Worth, Texas. That was because they were the first white people to get there. Everybody else was Native American. Yeah, my dad said that it was like God had told him. My God, this may be um, from the Lord this morning. 
He said, I was holding on the pew so much that my knuckles became white. Now, we know that walking down the aisle doesn't save you, right? He said, but God was calling me to repent. And it was like God was telling me, I've come to you time and time again at church, through Bobby, through other people, but you've rejected me. In fact, when my dad was younger, there was a guy, a deacon, a deacon, deacons, this is good, who would come and invite him to church every week. But my dad, because they lived in a shotgun house, would actually get on his all fours and crawl out of the room and not answer the door because he was too ashamed to tell this guy that he didn't want anything to do with God. But the deacon came and came and came and came and came. Now, that Sunday night, my dad got saved. My dad went home. Later, my grandpa got saved. My grandpa, I've been told, would come home from different jobs, be rubbing his wrist. And my granny say, what happened? He said, I had to cold cock somebody. I need to find a different job. My granddad. But the grace of Jesus Christ through my dad's heart, my granddad got saved. My granny got saved. My dad's two brothers got saved. One is actually a longstanding deacon who served Jesus Christ for many years in a church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Each one of them had two children, and all of their children are walking in the truth, serving Jesus Christ. And all of that came from somebody who didn't come to this passage and say, God, give me an angelic vision, but understand what the will of the Lord is, verse 17. Say, God, you want everybody to be saved. I'm working with this guy, Jim. He's a pagan. Use me to reach him. And had Bobby not done that, probably wouldn't be here. Who's going to be your Jim, your Bobby? Let's do something with today's message. Let's pray. So our musicians are coming up to lead us in this time of invitation. If you're here today and you can say, Jeff, man, I just, honestly, I've screwed up. I've wasted my life. It's been all about me and it's not even brought satisfaction. Today, I want to repent. The call for you from the Lord today is just to repent from selfishness. Commit your life, Christian, today. Make the best use of your job. Make the best use of your school, of your friends. When you go out of here, find Jim, lead him to Christ. If you're here today and you've never been born again, this is a time you just say, God, I'm going to give my life to you. Just give it all to him. Say, God, would you take it? Take all my pain, would you take all my, my mistakes, my rebellion, all of the stuff that I've done, all of my regret, all of my guilt. God, I'm giving it to you right now. Please save me, Lord Jesus. If you believe the Lord is doing that work in your heart, when we begin to sing, I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat and simply walk down here. And by doing that, you're saying, you know what? God has done a work in my heart and I'm not ashamed. I'm going to stand up for Jesus Christ and live for him. Same thing if you've been saved. But you want to follow Christ in baptism to show people that you are not ashamed of him. We're asking you to come. Father, would you give us courage and wisdom to make the best use of this time, to redeem it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.